Chevy Equinox with forward collision alert, automatic emergency braking, and available all-wheel drive. It's my ultimate mobile device. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule a test drive. Chevy Equinox. It's your choice. Own it. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time at WGN. Yeah, we started here in the 90s. I produced Bob Collins and Roy Leonard. And I produced Spike and Cochran. So we spent our 20s as wing women for each other. And it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and we stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. And we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that intrigue us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents. We're average. We're not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and look. today's parents are failing to teach kids the importance of failure. Think right. about that for a second. All right, that my mind just uh, exploded. What? We are failing to teach our kids about the importance of failure. Failure has like a negative connotation to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it means that we didn't do what we were supposed to do. Right. Well, a couple of years ago, I was on the treadmill watching CNBC. I don't know why, but I had it on. Okay. And they had the owner and creator of Spanx. You know Spanx? Um, intimately. Yes. <laughs> Um, great product. Anyway, the founder of Spanx was talking about um, how she got to the product that she did and trying different fabrics and stitching and this and that. And it was a lot of failed attempts. And um, she brought up specifically about how when she was a kid, she her dad expected her every day at the dinner table to talk about failure, what she failed at. Literally, and he and she she goes on to explain that when she'd come home and when her and her brother and sisters um, didn't have something that you know they wanted to nat- naturally say like, oh, I did really good at at gym, I sure. sprinted really fast or whatever. But when he when he would be disappointed that she wouldn't have something that she failed at. I think so. I've heard about this interview, and it's amazing. And did you try to do it at home? So yes, like most things in my house, like we we go out of the gates really fast. We're like, oh, this is gonna be so it's great. I love this idea, and it petered out like two weeks later. But we did sit down at the dinner table one day, and I I started talking to um, Kate and Ethan about it with Doug, and they were like, what what? I don't understand what. Why do you want to know what I failed at? And I was like, because we're turning things around. Like, think about, um, you know, that football player that, that Odell's it. You know, when, when you say you Odell it, because you can catch it with one hand. No, but oh. and that's weird because I think I know more football than you. But okay, <laughs> there's a football player and he can catch a ball like one handed. Right. Okay, and so we went on to talk about, you know, I'm sure that he wasn't able to one hand catch something from the get go. Right. I'm sure he dropped it. A whole bunch of times before he caught it regularly. Okay. So we did that for a little bit. And, but like I said, like most things, I, 
it just kind of petered out and we didn't do it. Well, but it sort of changed the dialogue about things at school. We did something called roses and thorns. So we would go through and say, what was your rose today and what was your thorn? Oh, that's good. Um, which was really good for, uh, again, about a month. <laughs> we, <laughs> we also... Um, Best intentions. Yes. But and, and we have talked about trying to... That you don't have to do everything perfectly because when you do everything perfectly, you stop taking any risks, right? Right. Which fast forward to... Um, in the last couple of weeks, I was out with a bunch of moms, and this one mom is a H in HR, Uh-oh. and she was talking about um, applicants today that are applying for the company that she works at um, that are interviewing, and that people are actually the parents are actually calling the college graduate the applicants calling in to ask why they didn't get hired, interfering <laughs> with with the kids' interview process. Oh, so that doesn't surprise me at all, though, because I taught at Northwestern, and kids would not do well. And it was the first time that they were away from home, and they would not get an A, and they would totally uh, crumble. And then I would get calls from parents saying, what? why did my kid not get an A? And I was like, this is Northwestern, and A, I'm not allowed to talk about grades, and B, go do something else. I mean, you're not supposed to be calling for your kids now. They are now learning how to be adults. And I had one lawyer in grad school parent who sent me a letter saying that he was going to sue me because his kid Over did not. Over a grade? Yes. Oh my. I still I still remember that kid. She's not doing well. So now that it's summertime and I can reflect back on how I handle the school year and so on. Um, I was reading an article in which so all these different indicators were coming at me, and I was like, this seems like a good topic for us to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. And we could probably have many episodes about failure because there's just so much to talk about. But um, there was an article I was reading, I think it was in the New York Post or something, about how rewarding failure has actually become an epidemic in our country. And gave an example of this girl that was trying out for a high school cheerleading team, and she didn't, she didn't make the cut. Right. Only it didn't end there because the mom went and talk to the athletic director, and they bent the rules and got her on it. And I read about this, and that made every other kid who had gotten, who had made the cut, feel devalued. Yes. It's like, well, I worked really hard, and I met the criteria to be on the team, but somebody can just bellyache over on the side here. And, And so I guess all the cheerleaders went to the school board, and we're talking to the school board like, this is wrong. Like, I tried. I did. I, I made it. Well, and what does it do for the kid whose mom intervened? You know, that, that kid's got to feel like a total schmuck, <laughs> right? But she's on the team and she gets to wear the cheerleading outfit. That's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so um, I just thought that this was a hot topic. And, and like I said, now that it's summertime, I figured we can, I, I think about the things that I do in my own house and like... When my daughter calls at 8.25 in the morning, Mom, I forgot my iPad at home. It's charging on the ledge. Mm-hmm. Or, um, Mom, my library book, it's due today. Can you bring it in? Now, we live walking distance to the school, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. So what do you think I do, Ann? You, you stay firm and you say, sorry, Kate, you have to learn a lesson. No. 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 <laughs> Does Sophie no. or Hanny ever forget stuff? Yeah, you know, Sophie's super, super focused, but she, um, also, like, I'm a, I think I'm a meaner mom than you are, so I think that they fear it's the not wrath. mean. You're, uh, you're doing it better, probably. No, <laughs> but one time recently, Sophie forgot something that was necessary for a group activity, and the whole group was going to be penalized if they didn't have this book. And I went, 
I was like, she does not. I do not need to drop this off because I need to teach her something. But then I was like, God, there are four other kids who will not be are able depending to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I dropped it off. I've heard stories in the Tribune, even about um, in high school, where kids are forgetting their lunch and that the school secretary at this high school, I think it was in Hinsdale or something, the drop-off section for school lunches <laughs> are off the charts because the, the moms and dads are bringing their, the kids. So now... Our kids aren't in high school yet, but I, I think about how I'm going to handle that. And I'll be like, I'm going to make sure she has five bucks in her pocket at all times. So if she does forget it, she can get hot lunch that day. I don't know. Maybe that will happen or maybe. I don't know. But I have uh, one of Ethan's friends. I was talking to his his mom. And if he forgets his lunch, she doesn't bring it. That's hard for me. I get that. And, and you and I talked a little bit before this that you worry that Ethan wouldn't eat. But I think... Other kids would give him stuff. But what if they didn't? And then, then what kind of learning is he going to have in the afternoon? Because he's going to be starving. He's going to be angry. But it's one day. I, I know, but I just don't like the out. See, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm like, oh, I'm, because you I'm trying can. to be supportive, and I can. Yeah, you can, but should you? So, you know, we, we always talk about how we're the absolutely average parent. So I, we decided to go out and uh, contact somebody that might be able to lead us in the right direction. So we're bringing in Jessica Leahy, who is a teacher, writer, and mom. She writes about education and parenting and child welfare for The Atlantic and The New York Times. But also she's an author of a New York Times bestseller called The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. It has been so hard for me to hold my tongue during this conversation. <laughs> I can only imagine. That's why, that's why we kept well, you on mute. <laughs> well, not only that, because I personally, I was in Hinsdale last year. And when I was in Hinsdale last year, I said, you know, the, one of the best things, uh, usually when I go speak to a, a school district, the... Um, the administrators will say, well, okay, let, we're totally on board with this. How do we help the parents understand that it's really, really important for their kids to learn how to um, strategize when they, you know, to problem solve when they forget stuff? And I say the easiest way to do that is to just to let the community know that you care more about the grades, more about seeing the kids as grades. You care about their long-term development and their growth and all that stuff. And so to that end, there's going to be a new rule that you no parents can drop anything off after first bell. Ooh. And that's a rule that is sort of has been spreading throughout the country and more and more schools are adopting it. So see the and the nice thing about that is your kids can't get mad at you because it's not your rule, it's the school's rule. Yeah, it's not my fault. Right. Exactly. And as for taking something to school that um that the whole entire group would be penalized for, yeah. that's bad teaching. Penalizing a group for one child's problem is, is something that teachers are, are instructed not to do all the time. Oh. But, so but that's something that definitely is, is in the teacher's lap, not yours. Oh. But I don't know that, were you saying that the teacher would yell at Soph because she forgot it? Or are we just thinking collectively that, you know, everyone needs that stuff? It so was it a, impacts more than one It was person. a group project. So if they didn't have the notebook, they wouldn't be able to do the group project. Uh-huh. Um, but you're, you're probably right, Jessica. The, the teacher might have just said, okay, well, Sophie's in the doghouse, but you're, the rest of you aren't getting bad right. grades. Right. Reconstru- and, and also think of it from a, you know, I, I know we hate to think about our kids growing up so quickly, but think about it from a, you know, from a business 
perspective, a work perspective. At some point, you know, there's going to be someone who's not going to come through. And so it's a really great thing to learn how to, how to scramble and problem solve when, you know, one person's efforts aren't available for the group to use. It's a, it's a great thing to do. So my tail is between my legs right now, Jessica. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, I, I, I started to look through your book and you pretty much wrote it about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the fun part of the book is I really I wrote it about me. I I was really really angry at the parents of my students. I was teaching middle school at the time. Currently, I teach high school. When I was teaching middle school, I was really angry with the parents of my students because they kept interrupting all of these great learning opportunities. That you know, middle school is sort of meant to be one long progress of learning how to be a big kid. And parents kept interrupting that, and so I was mad. And then the very day that I was sort of at peak angry was the day I realized I was doing the exact same thing to my own children. So the the book is very much about the fact that I've I I do all of these things, and it's a struggle for me too. And actually, one of the one of the stories toward the end of the book is about the day that. Um, my son left his homework assignment mm-hmm. um, sitting on the coffee table, and I had to be at the school anyway, Ugh. actually, like, for something else. And, you know, the, that pro- that puzzle of whether or not to take it with me. And, and it was it ended up being one of the most important moments in his academic year in terms of, you know, he ended up having to talk to the teacher, and he and the teacher had this conversation about, you know, he'd been forgetting things a lot, and how is he going to strategize and, and, you know, in the future not forget things. It ended up being this huge pivotal moment in his development um, because I didn't take it. I was going to ask, did you take it? I did not. I've been known to, well, not only did I not take it that day, I remember there was another day where it was like pre-test. It was, uh, you know, the day before a test, and there was a, a review packet. And he didn't take it to school that day, and I uh, I did scan it and sent it to the teacher and said, but under no circumstances are you to let on that you have this. This is just for you to see whether or not my kid is ready for the test, but you are not to give him credit for this. Um, if he gets a zero for the review, that's, that's between you and him, but this is just you know, in case you see any holes that need to be um, you know, handled before the test. Did the teacher appreciate that or feel like you were overstepping? Well, what's really been interesting is, um, you know, I kind of can't, I live in a very small town and (laughs) it would be, everyone knows that I've written this book. And, you know, so what I did from the very beginning was I went to the teachers and I said, look, my kids are overly dependent. Um, They don't know how to problem solve and I've been doing too much for them. So from here on out, I'm no longer going to be doing these things. I'm not going to be checking the homework. I'm not going, I will never, ever go on the, the, portal do you guys you have younger kids so you probably don't know about we, the portal yet yeah next but year I, we'll have it i i've never been on the parent portal as a parent and but i have to let the teachers know that because the assumption is now that that parents will so i went to the teachers and i said look i trust you to do your jobs i trust you to be partners in this with me and so if my kid doesn't have you know their stuff or um, you know, I'm not going to be checking on stuff, but if things start to circle the drain and my kids are really getting into trouble, then you're going to have to give me a call. But I won't be checking behind their backs. That's for us to have conversations at dinner. Isn't it sad, though, that you are not 
the norm? And especially now, because some, some places you have to log on to the portal in order to get access to, like, those beginning-of-the-year uh, forms, which, by the way, I don't fill out. I haven't filled those out since, like, fourth grade for the kids. All of those beginning-of-the-year forms, the kids fill out. Um, what? But some places make it... <laughs> uh, it's really great. The only thing that you have to write down for your kid is the name and phone number of their um, of their doctor and their dentist, and all the rest is information your kid should be able to give on their own. So oh I give them. A, I put like that information on either on an index card or stick it on the refrigerator or something, and then they're responsible for all of those forms, which is great because I hate filling out those forms. Yeah. Can you hear this? It's the helicopter. Can you hear it? <laughs> That's me. Well, and it's so great because think about. It. Do you want the first form that your kid ever fills out to be like an insurance form or a tax form where it really, really matters? Because, you know, I'll have kids in my high school classroom address envelopes or um, fill out some forms that they need, and they look at me like I'm crazy because they've never filled stuff out before. They don't know where a return address goes on an envelope, and these are high school-aged kids. Wow. My daughter goes to Chicago Public Schools, my older one, and she. we went from a private school to CPS, and mm-hmm. there was a parent Google group that sent around uh, notes, and they'd be like, I, I don't want to say anyone's real name, so Hank forgot his math assignment. Yeah. Can someone take a picture of it? And then they would yeah. take a picture of it, and they would send it. And then at one point, someone was like, well, you know, Andrew already did it, but I'll take a picture of it so you can see it, and then you can ask him the questions so you know that he knows the answer. I was like, what? Because yeah. I'm, I'm reticent. I would, I, you know, I sort of feel like if Sophie forgets something, I should say, wow, you probably shouldn't forget that again. Um, well, but the thing is, is that why is the kid not calling up a friend or texting a friend and saying, can you scan uh, that homework for me? Well, they were 10 they at the time. They know how to do this. They're, you know, they have, the, uh, they, you know, they have the, the ability, they have the voices, they have the fingers to dial the phone or text. So there's absolutely no reason. And the nice thing about that is there comes this day when, you know, you sort of expect that your kid is going to be able to problem solve. But if they haven't been doing it along the way, there's, they've never had the practice. So I don't know exactly when parents are expecting that their kids are going to get practice problem-solving if they're not actually doing it as they go along. Well, and I can say from the perspective of Northwestern, when I got freshmen, that's when they learned to problem-solve yeah. because it was the yeah. first time they'd ever not had their helicopters overhead. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of my really, really good friends, Julie Lithcott-Hames, has a book that came out just about a month before mine called um, How to Raise an Adult. And she was a freshman, uh, dean of freshmen at Stanford, Mm -hmm. and she would have these freshmen in her office at Stanford. You know, these are supposed to be the best and the brightest, and, you know, they'd have a problem with a roommate or a problem with a professor, and she'd look at them and say, you know, how are you going to problem solve? Um, And the kid would just sort of look at her blankly, and she referred to these kids, you know, she would ask them, you know, even like about their classes. She would say, well, what do you like? What do you want to study? And they never had never been asked what they like. They've just been told what to do, and she refers to them as um, being existentially impotent, which is a phrase I just love. Uh, so, Jess, has my has my ship sailed? Is it no? Okay, so I have a twelve and a ten year old. Absolutely not. When I first figured out that I was doing the exact same thing to my kids, mine were like uh, I think nine and fourteen or something like that. And actually, there's I have these little uh, bookmarks that my publisher made to go with the gift of failure that have these little like tips on them, and it's actually. It, you're at uh, the perfect place to start backing up because the stakes are still really, really low. And, you know, you, your kids are 
middle school is kind of like the perfect time for all of this okay, it's time for you to step up and take more responsibility. That's the middle school is sort of built for that. So you're, you're in great shape. So, um, part, I've, I've watched some of your Ted talks and, um, and just from other things that I've been watching, how, how can we teach kids to be brave when things are hard? Cause here's what, here's what I think is manifesting itself in my house is that, um, or what I'm worried about is that the kids won't try unless it comes naturally or right. that, that if it's, if it's challenging that they're, they, that they just give up. They're just like, ah, right. screw this. I'm not doing it. Right. Well, okay. So there's a couple things you can do. I actually, um, I get so many questions like this via email that I started answering them in, um, these gift of failure, um, frequently asked questions videos on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you Google Jessica Leahy and, uh, uh, frequently asked questions, it'll okay. come up. And that's one of them. Um, you know, how do I help my anxious kid or how do I help my perfectionistic kid? And we used to refer them as perfectionists, but now it's really turning into this anxiety of, um, about anything that they're afraid won't come right away. And, and you hear all the time about these kids who, you know, go to their first gymnastics practice and they can't do, you know, a cartwheel the first day. And so they just assume they're bad at gymnastics and, or they, math doesn't come easily to them. And so they assume they're bad at math. And that can become, it did for me anyway, become a lifelong, you know, assumption about myself that, by the way, was false because mm-hmm. I went back in my 40s and retook Algebra 1, um, and it turns out it's not true at all. Um, but the way you do that is the video that, that is specifically about this is about the power of yet. Your response to kids should always be, of course you're not good at this yet. You just started trying or you just learned this or this is your first time trying something like a cartwheel. So, of course, even, you know, Olympic uh, gymnasts couldn't do a cartwheel the very first time they tried. That word yet is so important, not only because it implies that, you know, what that trying to learn things requires time and persistence and, and patience, but it, it also locks into, it sort of dovetails into the work of, of Carol Dweck and her book Mindset, which, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is one of the most important books that's come out in the last generation or so. Um, and it's really about the fact that when kids understand that intelligence is not a fixed thing, that we weren't born with a certain amount of intelligence, and if we can't do a, or and we can't do math the first time we try, that doesn't mean that we're limited in our ability to do math. It just means we don't know how to do it yet. Um, if they believe that, they're not going to learn as much as kids who understand that um, intelligence is actually malleable, that the more we push ourselves to try things that are difficult for us or try things that are different that we've never tried before, the more intelligent we become. Um, and that, that word yet is just really, really powerful. I travel around to schools all the time, and teachers now wear these little buttons that say yet because it's like this magic phrase to help kids understand that, that learning is a process, not something that should happen really quickly. I have an anecdote about that in that my older one was taking clarinet, <laughs> and she uh, did not make first chair, and, and she was very upset. And I said, well, do you think it would change if you practiced? And she, <laughs> she said, but I want to be naturally good at it. 
Yeah. And as a culture, we tend to celebrate that. It's really unfair to kids. We tend to love to put on the evening news the story of the kid who, you know, toddled over the, to the piano at four and played Moonlight Sonata perfectly the first time. But we're not as interested in doing a story on the kid who practiced for 10,000 hours before they could play Moonlight Sonata. That's just not as interesting to us. Yeah. And unfortunately, we we sort of, we use words like, oh, she's such a natural, or she was just born good at math, or whatever. And th- that's what kids lock onto, and they think that that's our expectation for them. And that such does such kids such a disservice. I've heard the term in, uh, in school called the growth mindset. Is that the exactly. power of yet? Same thing? Yep. That, so that's the growth mindset is, comes from this book, Mindset, from Carol Dweck. And it's really been oversimplified in the media. So if you think you understand mindset just because you've read some articles on it, you might want to actually read the book. It's not just about parenting. It's not just about teaching. It's really about how everyone understands their own capacity and their own intelligence. And it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Why do you think parents, such as Tracy, um, are... are- <laughs> compelled to jump in and and hover in the uh, I'd read an article about when the toddler is trying to pour uh, milk and the mom is like like this, this is going to yeah. be a failure and that's a mom's anxiety is, right. is it because of us or is it be, are we trying to protect them or are we trying to save ourselves some step yeah, I think it's a, it, there's many things. And, and by the way, when we step in and, and do things for kids, like whether that's tying their shoe or pouring the milk, instead of saying, oh, it'll just be easier if, you know, if I do that for you, what kids are really hearing when we say, just let me do that for you, is I don't think you can handle that yourself. I don't I have know. the faith in you that you can do that by yourself. And so we're, that's what we're communicating to them when we do, do stuff for them. And, and, you know, we're setting them up to expect less of themselves. And I think, you know, in the book, there's a whole chapter on sort of how we got here. And I think there's a lot of factors, you know, we're having kids later, we're having kids after being out in the workforce or getting more education. Um, We're having fewer kids. It's expensive to have kids and educate kids. And the stakes feel really, really high. And then we do it to each other. We create these high stakes. I wrote this piece for the Atlantic called Why Back to School Night Made Me Feel Like a Bad Parent. Because you know, I went to back to school night and I, you know, was just talking to all these people and they were telling me about, you know, the traveling soccer leagues and the cello lessons and the math tutoring. And, you know, my kids are at home, you know, playing Minecraft and, you know, <laughs> tinkering, you know, tinkering in the basement. And I, all of a sudden, even though I was feeling great about my parenting when I left the house, by the time I started listening to all these other parents, I was like, oh my gosh, I am the worst parent that there's ever been. How could I have just fallen down on the job that's the most important job. So we impart this sense of urgency and sense of I'm not good enough. We do that to each other. We are. And And doesn't social media just exacerbate that? Yes. And then the news comes in. The media comes in. The media tells us um, falsely, by the way, that it's harder to get into college than it's ever been. That's not true. It's harder to get into about 100 colleges than it's ever been. Um, That, you know, if, if our kids you know, get one low grade in middle school, ooh, middle school is starting to be more important than ever, and grades in middle school are going to determine placement in high school, and therefore there's no room for failure in middle school. The media does this to us, and we listen, and we fall for it, and we then we perpetuate it by doing it to each other. And all of these, and then on top of that, because we've been in the workforce and we've been in, in school for such a long period of time, we are not used to not getting feedback on our 
on the things that we do, whether that's work or, you know, learning something. And so, and then for our parenting. So we then look to our kids to be our report card for our parenting. And that is incredibly unfair to do to them, not only because if they do poorly, we take it out on them and make it make them feel like they're failing us. But also, we then co-opt their successes. When we say, oh, I must be such a great parent because my kid's getting all A's and my kid is on the traveling soccer league, what you're really saying is that's my accomplishment, not his. And how unfair is that? Of course it's not your accomplishment. It's your child's accomplishment. So, you know, there's so many reasons that we've gotten to this place of, um, you know, we tend to act out of emergencies and not think long-term. And honestly, that's the the simplest advice I could give anyone who wants to start turning their parenting around is you have to start thinking long-term instead of short-term. You have to stop acting, um, you know, from a place of emergency and start thinking about, you know, okay, true, if the homework doesn't go to, my, go to school with my kid this day, if I don't take it to the school today, then they might get a zero, but... In six months, are they going to be more or less likely to forget that homework assignment in the first place? And the answer is they're going to be less likely to forget it in six months. So we have to start thinking long term. But on a, on a day-to-day level, you give an example of your son and tying his shoe mm-hmm. and, and how you're like, just this one time, I'm just going to do it for him. Yeah. And then well, the next... I figured out that I was doing the same thing to my own kids that my students' parents were doing because... I had a nine-year-old kid who could not tie his own shoes, and that's because I did that. I did that to him because, you know, the first – and you ask why we do this to our kids, because we don't want them to be frustrated. It is so hard to see your kid be frustrated, Mm -hmm. so we just want to fix it. And that's how it started, and then it just got to be easier if I did it for him, and then it just got to be easier if we just wore Velcro shoes right? or we just wore slip-on shoes. Right. And so I then had a nine-year-old kid – who couldn't tie his own shoes. And I, you know, I knew this was coming because I live in New England and kids go on ice skating days. And if he can't tie his own shoes, imagine what he can't do with ice skates. Uh. So I knew it was going to come to a head at some point. I just didn't want to deal with it. I just figured at some point he'd figure it out or something. Well, some magic thing would happen. And I read somewhere when you talked about this anecdote that it became a problem where he didn't trust that you trusted him to do it, right? Like, it it becomes a, it goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, You know, when I, like I said, when you continue to do things for kids, they just assume that they can't do it. So, you know, it can be really, really hard to then suddenly turn that around and say, no, 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 I really, I have faith in you. I believe you can do this. And so, for some kids, and especially older kids who can really understand what you're doing, if you go to your kids and you say, look, I Mommy made a mistake. <laughs> I was doing the best I thought I, you know, the best I could with the, with with you, and I realized I I haven't been giving you enough credit. I I think you can do a lot more than I've been giving you credit for, and so now I'm gonna back off and I'm gonna let you guys do more for yourself. Now, not only does that set the stage for explaining why things are suddenly changing but all of a sudden that's like a challenge to your kids they're like oh my gosh mommy thinks i can do more than i've been doing i'm going to show her what i can do and it becomes this wonderful self-fulfilling prophecy because your kid figures out wow i really can do more and there are studies they're really clear there was a study that came out just recently about um, moms and homework it was specifically about moms that the more parents back off at homework 
and let the kid be competent on their own, the more competent the kid becomes, and so on, and so on, and so on. It becomes this really wonderful self-fulfilling prophecy. It's so hard on a daily level. <laughs> I know, I know. And in, in the answer to your question, the day your kid forgets, as a teacher, I can tell you right now, the day your kid forgets their lunch, is the kid is, A, not going to go hungry because the friends and teachers won't let that happen, but it can be a little bit uncomfortable to ask other people if they can have a little bit of their food or ask a teacher to help solve the problem, but that's what teachers do best. That's Those moments when kids come to us and help them ask us to help solve their problems, we don't actually solve the problem for them. We help them come up with a solution to the problem, which is, you know, a lesson. you would think, well, you would think as a teacher that, you know, I would, I do, that's what I do with my students, especially middle school students. So you'd think I would do the same thing with my own kids, but there was some sort of weird, I don't know, block I had about understanding that that's, you know, how we should parent as well. But, you know, if, if every day, let's say, for example, if every day your kid has been forgetting their lunch and instead of getting to the door and looking at your kid and saying, sweetie, you don't have your lunch, go get it, stop at the door and say, Okay, before I leave the house, I like to do a mental checklist of all the things I need before I go. So let's see, I need my keys, I need my phone, I need my briefcase, I need my whatever. So everybody else, you do the same thing. Go through your list. What things do you need at school today? And, you know, if the kid doesn't remember the lunch and the kids are like, okay, I've got everything, stop and say, now let's go through your day. Do you have, you know, what things do you normally need first thing in the morning? And, yes, this takes a little bit of time at first. But helping, and or, and then if that doesn't work, there's another wonderful strategy I love where you say, you know what, we haven't been able to get out of the house in the morning with all of our stuff. I'm going to write down for myself um, the things I need in the morning to get out of the house and maybe leave that as a note tacked next to the door. What's a strategy that might work for you? How do you think that you could get out of the house in the morning with the things you need? See what strategies your kids come up with. Your job is not to solve their problems. Your job is to help be there for your kid as a sounding board so that they can talk about how they could solve their problems. Um, you know, a solution they come up with is going to be far more effective than any solution you impose on them because of buy-in. Amen. They're going to have buy-in into a solution they come up with themselves, and, and they won't have buy-in into your solution. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. But, yeah, I'm not sure you're you're going to actually change, Trace, but I, I, I can, I can. <laughs> she's going into middle school, so, you know, it's a natural. She's going into a new school, yep. so it's going to be a natural um transition or an easy way to just take break from the old routine and i do think that what jessica said that if we just tell them that we're trying to change too if we say you know this is a new step for you and it's a new step for me i i have a hard time not trying to take care of you but guess what you're growing up and i need to give you a little space then and guess what you've just done you've just modeled for them exactly what you want to see in them which is an admission that you could do something better and that you're learning from your mistakes that's why that rose and thorns that you were talking about, or at our house it's called high-low funny, um, <laughs> where we talk about the best thing and the worst thing and the funniest thing. Um, but the other thing we do at dinner is we talk about our goals um, from time to time. And when I screw up and mess up one of my something I've done, I don't keep that a secret from my kids. I talk about it in front of them and, and ask their advice about how they might 
solve that problem or how I could solve the problem. And then you're modeling for your kids that you're brave enough to talk about your own mistakes and to adapt to them. And that's, that's the best thing ever that you could do for your kids is to model that behavior for them. Well, all of this is absolutely fascinating to me. I could talk to you over a beer for hours and hours. I, I love this topic so much. And I see it every day amongst my peers of other parents and so on. So we'd love to have you back another time on another episode. Um, absolutely. And we thank you for writing the book because um, I, we know it's necessary and we see it in ourselves, but it's nice to have someone tell us. Yeah, I, yeah it's as I said, I, I, there are lots of things that I was doing with my students that work great that I wasn't doing with my own children. And sometimes it just helps to have another lens applied to the situation. So I'm happy to be another lens whenever you need one. Thank you so much, Jessica Leahy. You're so welcome. Uh, author of the best-selling book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. Thank you so much. We'll put all our links up uh, with to your books and your videos um, on this podcast. Fantastic. Thanks, Thank Jessica. you so much. You're so welcome. I, I literally could talk about this for forever. I I I think I'm so drawn to it because I, I I'm so bad at it. <laughs> so it, it makes me it's good that I'm talking about it because I need to really start doing the things that are in this book. Yeah, and I think that she gives good advice and it makes perfect sense that, you know, we need to help them grow and be independent. It's just hard to watch them because we don't want them to suffer pain. We don't want them to have failures, right? but we are failing them, as you said at the beginning. Yeah, and I'm not going to be the person that calls the HR department and asks why Kate didn't get hired for that job out of college. <laughs> yep, and I'm not suing anybody over, you know, Sophie not getting an A. Yeah, so... Right. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. My name's Tracy Weiner. I'm Ann Johnsos, and this is Apparently. We make it look easy.